Yeah, I think that's really awesome. And um, now I sort of wanted to shift our conversation to another growing aspect of finance and stocks and and a really big thing that's it's coming up now is cryptocurrency. So never heard of obviously it. <laughs> pretty well versed in this. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how you first got educated into cryptocurrency. Well, look, I'm not a cryptocurrency expert or anything like that, but I, it's something that is super interesting to me. It's, it's newer technology. It's, it's very much in its infancy. And like everything else that I've been interested in and didn't know anything about and then learned about, I, I just I went online um, and I just started watching videos on YouTube and, and Googling. And, and, and that's kind of how I figured everything out. So we're not, you know, the most educated on cryptocurrency. We know our, you know, like here and there, but we just really want to really, we just really want to understand how does cryptocurrency work in terms of what's its applicability and why is it becoming so popular now? Well, I think the world is trying to figure out its applicability. Um, First of all, I think we probably want to back up a little bit and just understand what cryptocurrency is and the technology behind it. And I was thinking about about this the other day, and I have a good analogy for you guys since you're both in school. When you were younger, did your parents ever tell you about your permanent record? Did they ever kind of hold that over you? Maybe maybe so, maybe not. I mean, I mean like when you're in school, like people talk about like, oh, it's going to go on your transcript or something like that. Yeah, your transcript. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was younger, my parents always said that if I acted up, um, any sort of infraction would go on my permanent record. Me, throughout all of grade school, into high school, whatever, I thought there was this kind of like record that had all of the good things, all the bad things, all the infractions that I ever did, <laughs> like on this record. And it was kind of verified by all the teachers. They all, you know, signed off on whatever was added to it. And that is literally what the blockchain is. It is a immutable record of kind of everything that's happening along it or on it. Um, and it's, it's all verified by various computers and, and nodes that are processing all these transactions. And as a reward for processing the transactions, they get the cryptocurrency. So if you think about uh, the, the you know, Bitcoin, uh, there is a blockchain that's running uh, software on all these other computers. They're processing transactions and that's the process of mining. You're basically running these computer programs um, and, and kind of like calculating all of these transactions. At some point, you wind up getting a reward for Bitcoin. I'm like vastly oversimplifying it. And again, I'm not an expert, but um, that, that, that analogy, that permanent record analogy is literally what's happening. It's an immutable record of all of the transactions that are on it. So now we talk about applicability of cryptocurrency. And I think you're starting to see some of it right now. Um, in a number of different instances. One is just, I think, transferability of, of money. And you see um, you know, some of the countries that are out there that are adopting um, cryptocurrency as, I guess, as legal tender, or they're, they're saying it's okay to use it within those countries. And I think it's kind of a game changer in terms of people being able to send money from you know, maybe the US over there for family members but I think there's a ton of regulations that are going to come behind it. Um, 
just because for, for a multitude of reasons, um, you know, I, I, I think it's going to happen. But then you also look at not only just sort of the, the transferability of these coins um, that have you know, value, people have basically given them value if you look at what the markets, uh, where the markets are at on this stuff. Um, but there's also uh, these NFTs that are out now, non-fungible tokens. And if you think about what fungibility means, it basically just means re replaceability, right? So if I have a dollar, I can replace that with four quarters or a hundred pennies, right? But an NFT is a uh, is a non-fungible token. That's where that's what NFT stands for, and that's basically uh, an asset that's unique. It can't be replaced. So think about um, digital images that are being produced online. They're getting created or minted on these uh, on blockchains. I think I think most of them are getting minted on the Ethereum blockchain. They get minted. And they are, um, I guess, connected with a smart contract. And what, what I think is super cool here is that you can take this unique item and you can assign a value, you can sell it for that value. And then you can also in that smart contract, you can basically assign uh, a percentage to which you'd be entitled to for any secondary sales. And so think about, you know, the, the NFTs that you've heard of, like CryptoPunks or, um, or the monkeys names, the uh, Monkey Yacht Club or whatever, you know, these things are selling for, for big, big money. I happen to think the, the NFTs uh, as art, like the art NFTs, I think it's a fad right now uh, to a certain extent, it's a fad. And um, what's happening is that not only are these things getting sold, but the artists, I imagine, have an ownership interest in it kind of in perpetuity. If they keep getting sold and sold, then they'll basically get money um, as commission for any future sales. So that's one way that this is happening. What, where I really am bullish on this technology, though, is for the use of NFTs in um, something like ticket sales, for example. So think about the way like, you know, John Mayer sells tickets to his, uh, his concerts right now. He just like goes to Ticketmaster and sells however many, you know, thousands of tickets for a show at, you know, whatever arena. And like, that's his payday. He gets those ticket sales or however it gets distributed. But um, what happens when somebody else sells those tickets on StubHub or some other third-party platform? Well, that's like a... I think it's like a $15 billion industry. It's a, the re resale market is massive. So what happens when artists start to wise up to this technology and say, wait a second, I want to get 10% of every resale. Why am I giving that to another company? I think you're going to see a lot, uh, a lot of stuff change because of that, um, specifically in the, uh, in the, in the, the ticket entertainment industries. So specifically with like not ticket, um nfts but the nfts that we we've been seeing now yeah so yep. what what is it that makes them so valuable is it just demand that drives the prices or is it something else because that's something that i've been confused on why this thing is like i i get it that your name will be on like as as you will be coined as the owner owner right you on blockchain it says that you bought this that's your transaction 
but what makes that what makes one nft more valuable than another is it just demand it's, it's the market it is it uh -huh. is supply it is supply and demand um i mean if you think of unique assets that are uh, available for purchase um you know in or that are just out, out there in the world like what what makes the mona lisa so valuable right there's just one mona lisa and uh da vinci is no longer alive to paint more of them right so um you know what is making these specifically um worth the, the the prices that they're getting it's demand it's i think a lot of it's hype i think a lot of it is hype but it's it's unique art and it's just a new version of that and so look i i so we're talking about not having it figured out i don't think i don't think anybody knows i don't think anybody really knows the intrinsic value of these things and it's a lot of speculation right now and with tickets and with concerts and stuff so would that work like, so John Mayer, right? Like with the John Mayer example that we were using earlier. Sure. So would he, so if he sells a ticket to someone who goes to a concert or would they, he wouldn't receive any profit from that because there wouldn't be any resale. But if someone like bought the ticket and then sold it to another person, he would get royalty from that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it depends on how the smart contract is, is created, but I mean, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, the initial sale is, you know, John Mayer, whoever is selling tickets, they're making money on ticket sales, right? Mm -hmm. So it just, there are a lot of secondary sales. Like think about Justin Bieber, his concerts sell out in like 30 seconds, right? And then people take those tickets that they bought and they go and flip them. It's kind of like, like Nike sneakers, you know, it's impossible to get them. On, I don't know if you guys like sneakers. I love sneakers, but it's, it's impossible to get them on on Nike, you know, on the Nike sneakers app. And then where do they all go? They wind up on StockX or eBay or other platforms for double, triple, you know, 10 times the price. So it's different with, with sneakers, with physical objects, tickets are now digital. So um, how is it going to work? I think it remains to be seen, but I think that they're going to capitalize on the ability to make money on the secondary market sales. So I guess as I'm like trying to take in all this information, the two big things that I kind of see in terms of its applicability is one, it kind of prevents copyright. It prevents, you know, the person who owns it, they get full control of what happens afterwards. And the second is security in terms of, you know, transactions and dealing with money as at least with like cryptocurrency. But like when you combine those two, especially with, you know, NFTs, cryptocurrency, it's all based on the digital it's all based on digitalization. It's making sure that everything online is becoming, you know, similar to how it is in person. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of things which are, which happen, you know, in person are just translating over now into NFTs and cryptocurrency. And I think the biggest takeaway that I'm getting from this so far is what we're seeing right now. The blockchain is enabling us to further move into a digitalized like era where almost everything is going to start happening there. And then Obviously, these are the first few app, like applications that we're seeing of, but with this rate, I think we're going to see so many more things translate over. Look, when when the iPhone came out, I don't even think the App Store was around, right? It's, it's like you don't know what you don't know, and someone out there is going to think of something that's going to just 
blow everybody away. I mean, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. So I agree with you. I don't think this is going anywhere. I think it's, I think it's just in its infancy. I'm personally really pumped to see what happens with it. I'm also interested to see what happens with it in the real estate space. Because right now, if I wanted to go and buy a building, I actually have to go to kind of the real estate blockchain. It's not really a blockchain, but you know, there is a, a ledger out there um, that can be searched to see what encumbers a building. So this blockchain concept, like you know, you you said before, it's like we take things from the undigitized way of, of life and we're, we're digitizing it. You know, I'm interested to see what happens with real estate in that regard because when you close a deal, you have a lot of paper documents that have wet signatures on them still, and those get scanned in and they get put on the public records. So anybody can see them. How will blockchain technology um, impact that? I think there's a huge application for blockchain in the real estate space, especially with regards to the searchability of all of those records. That would require really big effort for everybody to kind of adopt you know, one thing. There's just so many different municipalities and government entities involved, but we'll see. I think there's some real potential applicability for, for the real estate industry too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like, once you wrap your head around it, I feel like it blockchain has a, has a potential to make things just a lot more easier. Like, obviously there are a lot of, like, like you said, there for like real estate, there are a lot of factors that have to like fall into place for it to actually work and for people to actually make trans real estate transactions through blockchain. But like we're seeing in like El Salvador, for example, where they, um, like you said, they, they made uh, Bitcoin as a legal tender. So you can even pay mm -hmm. your taxes as with through Bitcoin. Um, so it's just showing how stuff can change really quickly if, and, and you know, obviously we're, we're uh, seeing how it's going right now. And, but there's so much potential in the crypto space um, that it's, it's, it's really mind blowing to see where it's going. Totally agree. But you know, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, people want to get in You talk about like FOMO and people who want to buy crypto and they just want to get in on it. I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of entertainment just kind of watching. If you want to buy some of the coins and stuff and, and play around with it, you know, okay, to each their own. But, um, you know, I don't think this is going away at all. So I think we're going to be watching what happens for a while. Yeah, and you brought up a really good point, which I want to touch upon. This is something where at least our generation, I think me and Erna, we haven't really got to experience, you know, a really big craze in, you know, sort of the investment area. As in, you probably have witnessed how, like, the stocks, how, like, the how websites were popping up in the World Wide Web, and you got to see how they went up, and then they crashed, and then they bloomed back up, and you really got to see what were the real contenders that actually won out in that era. And I think for us, we're getting a chance to witness this cryptocurrency era, which is so much hype, so much exposure to people and especially influence with social media. But we're getting a taste of something that's big that's going to happen. And we're trying to see what's going to be the end product or what's going to really streamline after the middle part happens in terms of what crashes, what ends up going down. And I think that's like a really cool concept because there's no way all of these types of cryptocurrencies can sustain. And it's just figuring, just, that's the thing. It's a little bit risky. That's where the risk comes in. Everyone knows it's applicable. Just you don't know what 
exactly it will be. That's kind of a cool concept that I was, you know, thinking about as we were talking about this. Yeah, look, um, I remember being in, I think, seventh or eighth grade during the dot-com boom. And um, I was not investing real money, but I remember, I think there was like a Yahoo, um, like paper trading competition or something. And I was doing it like every week with my buddies and we were like fake trading stocks. And so that just got me into it. I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons why I've always been kind of so passionate about finance. And I was a business major in college too. So maybe that was kind of one of the reasons for the path is, is seeing all that happen. Um, but you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna see ups and downs same way your life is going to be like, uh, same way your life is not going to be a perfect line. You know, it's going to be ups and downs. You're going to see the same thing in the market. And I think just kind of going in even keeled and, and watching it and just being prudent in your decisions is, is like the best, the best way to do it. Um, you know, who know, who knows what's going to happen, but, um, you know, one other thing to mention is, do you know, you guys know Ramit Sethi, personal finance? Yeah. I read a, I read a quote of his and he said, uh, I don't, I'm not going to quote it, uh, verbatim, but it was something along the lines of like, you know, people were doing, talking about personal finance way before him and, you know, and look at him, he's like a well-known figure in that space, which just goes to show that like, you don't need to, to buy into the hype. You don't need to think that like these spaces are too crowded, uh, in order to become uh, a prominent voice in those spaces. I think it, it just becomes, you know, what are you passionate about? And then, um, just like kind of putting your head down and, and going for it. So if you find that you like cryptocurrency, you want to learn more and you want to, you know, work in it, you don't have to like go in and put all your money in these things. Just, just wait, you know, take your time, learn, and then you can start to grow and, and, and speak out and, and take that initiative we were talking about before to become a, a voice in, in that space. That's, that's a really great point. And there's another thing that I wanted to bring up about crypto was um, sure. something we talked about uh, a few weeks earlier about sandbox and virtual properties. Can you explain a little bit what this is and how it works? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not like playing in this space or anything, but there's this concept of this metaverse where basically there's an online game. It's built on blockchain technology. And um, within that game, they are selling... Um, real estate. So um, I don't want to get too heady here, but I mean, just imagine if you're spending time online, you know, Facebook, for example, Mark Zuckerberg has talked about this Facebook created metaverse. What's it going to look like? Are we all going to be walking around with uh, Oculus goggles, you know, uh, being able to spend our time, like maybe I'm just going to sit in my chair and, and instead of walking around the, the, the regular reality or, or the real world, I'm going to be walking around some virtual world. And what's going to happen in that virtual world? Well, there are going to be places to go and people to see and things to buy. And so how are you going to buy those things? Well, there's a, another opportunity for digital currencies to, uh, to continue to add value. And, and just think about it also from um, the perspective of entertainment, and, and brands being able to kind of like 
advertise within that metaverse, to offer experiences within it. Who knows what it'll look like, but um, you know, you could kind of see a world where people get into that, right? It was when I first saw that stuff with Mark Zuckerberg, I was I was actually blown away. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Ready Player One. It's also a book, but yeah, it, yeah, it's it's about like people living in a virtual reality setting. And when I saw him with his Oculus uh, goggles with the interviewer, and they were they were talking through the VR stuff, and you could see how it looked like one of those games that we'd play when we were younger with like just on our like computers using like the arrow keys or something like that, except yeah. you were actually there. And that sort of blew my mind away. I was like, well, if he could do this now, imagine the impact in like 10 years that from now, like what this would look like and the application it might have with us. So it's, it's definitely maybe, maybe even further down the road, but um, you know, crypto definitely has an application there too, because it's, it's so inviting for a digital currency in a space where people are walking around digitally and it's something that is is so mind-blowing to think about well is it going to be good or is it going to be bad you know think mm-hmm. think about that are we going to be you know the movie wally where they're all kind of sitting in their chairs and they're lazy and they're drinking soda all day and they're not interacting with people they're just kind of stuck in those screens is it going to be like that is it going to be like the matrix where we don't even know there's a, re- a real reality anymore. And we're just like plugged into this simulation. I, it's we'll see. A little, it's pretty, it's pretty trippy stuff to think yeah. about. And I think that, you know, we talk about this at work a lot that the robots are coming. I mean, if you think about the, the direction that technology is going in uh, with automation and artificial intelligence, you can kind of see a future like that forming. So um I would say two things. One, it's really important to future-proof yourself. I think you guys are young and you probably know more about technology than I ever did at your age. And you know, I think that schools now definitely have an emphasis on it. But you know, when you're looking at, at, at what you're passionate about, I mean, kind of take into account, okay, or is, is that industry going to be here in, in like five years? I don't know. I think they're kind of automating a lot of stuff. Maybe so, maybe not. Um, and then the other, the other piece of this is um, just like don't lose sight of reality. You know, it's okay to to shut your phone. And I struggle with this plenty, but it's okay to put your phone down and like go outside for a run and like literally wake up and smell the roses. Right? Like don't lose, don't lose that. No, that's such a good point. I love the conversation that was just happening, you know, seeing how there's so much more applicability with what's happening with technology, literally the games that we played when we were young, the movies that we watched are slowly coming into real life where they're essentially predicting the future and the future is happening now. So in terms of how we are going to experience a lot of different things and the next generation, the past generations have robots are going to be so heavily influenced we're going to be using so much digital, just, just so much digital, digital, just everything is going to be a lot simpler. And we have to make sure that we don't fall into a trap that we lose sight of who we are as humans overall. And this go, this can go as deep as possible, but you just got to make sure that you remain to the core element and you don't lose track of everything. And I think this is a perfect segue into just overall mindset, how we view the world, like what we're going to, how to like improve ourselves. So what are some 
you know, big concepts that you think, obviously we talked about passion. We talked about not taking life too seriously, but what's like another key concept that you think if people just wrap their heads around, it would just make them not even just better people just love the, like just be better overall. There's, there's a lot, a lot there. And, um, I think I have two to talk about one. One is the way you talk to yourself. And I've always been really hard on myself. I always held myself to a really high standard and, uh, it can be really easy to be very hard on yourself. So I would say, um, it doesn't matter if you're young or, or, or old or, in, or anywhere in between, uh, pay attention to, to your inner dialogue, to your inner monologue. How are you talking to yourself? Because I mean, look, I, I'm an advocate for therapy. I'm an advocate for, um, you know, for coaching and working with people that um, can help you be your best self. You know, I work with um, a nutritionist. I'll, I'll shout her out. Her name is Jillian Tuckman, and she's given me a ton of information on on mindset when it comes to to diet um, and and eating. And and look, it's it's so um, it's so easy to be hard on yourself, but um, you know, kind of take a, a pause for a second and think about how would you, if somebody came to you and needed advice because they were being hard on themselves, how would you talk to them? How would you comfort them? And how would, you know, would you minimize, like, would you minimize their problems and tell them that like what they're saying is BS? Um, would you tell them to like F off, you know, like, because if not, then why would you talk to yourself that way? So that's, that's number one is, comfort yourself the way you would comfort a little child or somebody else. It's a complete game changer if you can start doing that. And I think in order to do that, um, it really requires a lot of mindfulness when it, um, you know, when it comes to uh, your thinking. And we tend to kind of go through our days as, as like robots. So we go through the motions of things and it's really easy to kind of forget why you're doing the things the way that you're doing. So if you can take a pause and, and, and sort of tune into the way that you're talking to yourself, like it's a game changer. And the other thing is um, the way in which um, you reframe those thoughts. So if you have a really negative thought, like for example, if um, when I was practicing well, I remember I told you guys about the, uh, the conversation that I had with that, um, with that managing partner who said to me, Ian, you need to pay better attention to details. My first reaction was anger. Uh, I was sad. I was upset. But it took me a really, really long time to figure out that the better way, and I'm not, I'm not um, by the way, I'm not... Um, like disregarding because those emotions were super real and they exist. And if you are angry or upset, like you're allowed, as I tell my three-year-old son, you're allowed to have big feelings. Right. But it's a really great, uh, it's, it's really great if you can reframe those thoughts to, uh, what we call a growth mindset. So instead of being angry or upset at yourself for not knowing something, remind yourself that you're learning. Uh, I'm learning to become a better lawyer. I'm learning to be a better student. I'm, I'm, I don't know how this college admissions process is gonna work out. I'm, I'm learning uh, to apply to college. 
you know, if you take that mindset instead of being hard on yourself, it's it's going to open up a, a whole world where um, you're going to start to accept that idea of learning and you're going to start to embrace improvement more than you are uh, a critique of yourself. I think those two points are, are really, really exceptional, especially if you embrace those two ideas at a young age and start to build that self-esteem and self-confidence up. It's going to help you out throughout your life. Really, it's, it's applicable in school. Whenever you're just super stressed out, just being able to talk to yourself right and knowing where you are, is, it's so important. Um, so it, it's, it's really important to bring up. So another thing that I wanted to ask you was, what are the best way to go about goals and working towards them? Because this is another thing that a lot of people, um, you know, struggle with because they, they're trying to find their way in life and they're trying to, they don't exactly set goals. They don't exactly know where they want to be. So how has that worked for you? Uh, Look, I think the goals that you, I, I'm a proponent of, uh, as as the CEO of my company says, of setting big, hairy, audacious goals. <laughs> you know, set kind of these crazy goals. Um, if you want to become a billionaire, fine, okay. But you have to think about the strategies and the tactics that you're going to employ to get there. And you're going to have, if you want to become a billionaire, there's going to be a lot that you're going to have to do in between them. So you can certainly have those goals, write them down on a pad and write them down, you know, keep them in your wallet. Um, And I would absolutely recommend kind of visualizing the things that you, you know, visualize being in that world. You know, actually the reason why I, I'll just take one quick second from answering your question, but the reason why I do visualizations now is because my nutritionist who I mentioned, she uh, first taught me about visualization and, my son, my son's running in here. We got a guest appearance. So she first taught me about visualization and she taught me about this in the context of a tennis player who beat, I think it was who beat Serena Williams and at the U S open. And they asked her how she did it. And if you Google this, she literally talks about visualization. She says, I've been here a thousand times in my mind. And it's just mind blowing that like she was able to achieve that goal after visualizing all of it. Um, so now to go back to your uh, initial question is how do you set these goals? Look, it's really up to you to set whatever goals you want, but I think you really have to drill down into the strategies, how you're going to get there. So let's just say uh, one of your goals is to make a million dollars. Well, what strategy are you going to employ to make a million dollars? Okay, I am going to start a business selling um uh, NFTs. Okay, cool. What tactics are you going to take to sell those NFTs? Well, I'm going to, um, uh, wherever, where, where do you have your edge, right? I'm going to sell real estate related NFTs and I'm going to go out and, um, create them on open sea and I'm going to market them like this. And I'm going to call all these people and talk to them about it. And then now I know if I want to make a million dollars over the next five years, I have to sell, um, you know, let's just say 10 uh, NFTs at $100,000 each and then break it down from there. I mean, this is like really back of the napkin, back of the envelope, like high level breakdown of how I would do this. But I think, you know, it, any, any goal needs accompanying strategies and tactics to ultimately get there. 
And something which you, you obviously are stressing a lot about the strategy to get to your goal. And that I think is probably bigger than the goal itself. One thing that I read from Atomic Habits by James Dean, he talked about how goal setting can be overrated at times because when you have those goals that you want to achieve, if you don't have a plan behind it, you're going to see yourself in a win-lose situation, whether you achieve the goal or you didn't achieve the goal. When you start shifting your mindset towards, you know what, I'm going to employ the strategy and I'm going to let the strategy take me to wherever I go. I think when you realize that instead of saying, I want to lose 50 pounds, if you tell yourself, I'm going to be a healthy person and you take those steps, prove yourself that you're a healthy person, eat well. And anytime that you're in a situation where you want to, you know, kind of cheat or you want to not work out, you just remind yourself, if I want to be a healthy person, I got to do this. And it applies to any goal. So kind of combining that aspect from Atomic Habits to Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, he talks about how when you set your goal, you need specific steps on what you're going to be doing to achieve it. And this is kind of like combining both of those concepts to how to really, you know, have that mindset towards achieving your goals and not thinking that they're impossible. Because that's also another thing. People think that they can't achieve crazy things such as going to the NBA. If you really want to go to the NBA, don't set yourself down by saying, it's not possible. It's so unlikely people, you know, combine the concepts that you're talking about. Then I think it just, you know, makes it a lot easier for them to actually go about doing it. Yeah. I don't think any, um, I don't think Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk ever thought they would be the richest people in the world. Maybe they did, but you know what? Um, their goals were probably in line with something that would get them there. You know, I'm, I'm sure they thought massively. I'm sure they had massive thoughts, right? Um, so I, why not think big? Who said that? If you're going to think, think big, like, you know, why, why not? But you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan to back it up. Execution is everything. So as we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask you our closing question. So what would you tell 16-year-old Ian if you could tell him something today? I, I would probably, I'd probably deliver that mindset advice that I told him, I, I, that I told you guys. I, I would tell him to not be um, so hard on yourself. I, I would tell him, uh, look, it, it, it's all going to work out okay. You're going to get everything that you ever wanted in life and um, enjoy the ride. I think that's perfectly encapsulated what we've been <laughs> talking about today. You know, just not taking life too seriously and letting things come. And it's really good for our audience, especially because we're kind of in a stage where we're just getting started. A lot of people are they're just getting started with their lives. So it's really great to hear your perspective from someone who's been there, done that, and will continue to do more. So thank you so much, Ian, for providing your insight today. We enjoyed every conversation that we had. And we definitely love to talk to you in the future. Yeah, no, I know. I love talking to you guys. This was great. And uh, I'll add one more thing for 16-year-old Ian. Um, don't forget to go out and make more memories. You know, um, we, we, we really value um, experiences in the long term. We value experiences more than we do things. So um, being able to get out there and, and be with your friends, don't, don't give that up. So I hope, all, I hope all the listeners, especially that are your ages, um, you know, take that to heart. You guys are, are going through high school one time, college one time, just 
you know, spend that extra hour with your buddies, go out and, and have some fun. Again, thank you for your insight. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, we My had pleasure, a great guys. time talking to you. Likewise. Thanks for having me.